Hey guys, welcome to Big Church Online. We are so excited that you've joined us today. If you're looking for any sermons or words of encouragement, you've come to the right place. While you're here, please subscribe, like, comment, share. That way you can stay up to date and help others find it as well. Now, let's get this week's sermon in progress. As you said, my name is Jenny, and I need y'all to do me a favor real quick. I need everybody to stand up. Everybody. Everybody, everybody up. All right, now everybody sit down. (laughs) And now everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. And everybody sit down. Everybody sit down. (laughs) Good job. Good job. Well done. You all look amazing this morning. You all killed that. (laughs) So, as some of you may have noticed, it's easier to sit than it is to stand. Especially when we're standing for long periods of time, right? Sitting, you have that nice, comfy, lint-rolled chair. Shout out to team Jason. (laughs) You have that comfortable chair when you're sitting down, right? But when we're standing, we only have what's underneath our feet. We only have what we're standing on. So, for the past few weeks, like Pastor Isaiah mentioned, our amazing pastors have been Uh, speaking about taking a stand in the face of adversity. So, today I want to look at the life of Joseph and how when you stand with God as your foundation and you stand for what is right according to God, it can affect not only our own lives, but it can affect everyone around us. Now, the accounts of Joseph, son of Jacob, can be found in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. And we're going to read them all right now. I'm just joking. I'm joking. (laughs) We're just going to hit the highlights because seven minutes, right? Okay, so it's important to know and to remember that Joseph had one goal, one compass that guided his life. That one goal, that one compass was to do what was right according to God. So Joseph starts out born into a dysfunctional family. Who can relate? (laughs) I love Uh, (laughs) y'all. So, he's known as the favorite son, and he calls out his brothers for their wrongdoings, right? Um, And then he's hated by his brothers, and he's sold into slavery. While a slave, he again becomes the favorite and is given authority over all of Potiphar's household. Then here comes Potiphar's wife, begging Joseph to lay with her. And he stands up for God and denies her, saying that would be a great sin to God. Duh. So he goes to jail for for that. (laughs) He goes to jail based on a lie that she tells. So while in jail, he eventually becomes the favorite prisoner. And he is given authority over the other prisoners. He helps out some prisoners only to be forgotten by them. So after two years of being forgotten, Joseph was remembered. And Joseph is brought before the Pharaoh to interpret his dreams. And Joseph gives all the glory to God before doing so, saying, interpreting dreams is a job for God. I cannot do this. And at this point, Joseph is again favored and given the highest position of authority in all of Egypt under the Pharaoh. So do you see the pattern? Do you see in every situation of adversity that Joseph faced, he stood for what was right according to God, not according to the world. 
He stood for what glorified God and not what glorified himself. So because of Jesus, Joseph's, because of Joseph's obedience to Jesus, <laughs> he is elevated to a position of authority and favor again and again. And everyone around Joseph benefits from the favor of God on Joseph's life. Like Joseph makes standing up for God look easy. And this isn't in my notes, but Luke 10, 19, I believe, says, in red letters, y'all, Jesus says, look, I give you all authority over all the power of the enemy. You can walk through snakes. You can walk through scorpions, crushing them, and you will not be injured. That's the firm, firm foundation that we can stand on. So, the word says throughout Genesis that God was with Joseph. And guess what, y'all? God is with us. We can stand not because we're good, but because he is good. We can stand not because we're strong and stable, but because he is the firm foundation that we stand on. It's not, it may not be easy. Most of the time it's not. And it may feel like a constant rise and fall but it is all worth it because God is with us. So let's fast forward to when Joseph is elevated to this highest position in all of Egypt under Pharaoh. And his story does a complete 360. His brothers stand before him just like his dreams told, them, told him that they would. So he's in this position of authority. He's able to punish anybody that's ever done him wrong. And he doesn't. He doesn't take revenge on his brothers. He doesn't punish his brothers for what he had to go through for them selling him into slavery. He does not boast or point out their, wrong, their wrongdoing. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers as, as the brother that they sold into slavery. And he says this in Genesis 50, 19. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. And at this point, Joseph weeps. Joseph didn't weep as a slave. Joseph didn't weep as a prisoner. Joseph didn't weep when he was forgotten, but Joseph wept from being reunited with his brothers. Joseph weeps from the love he has for his family. Joseph weeps when he realized all the adversity that he had stood facing and doing what was right according to God all led him to this moment to see that God intended it all for good. I can relate to Joseph, especially in this moment. So back to dysfunctional families. <laughs> My family has been through some hard times, and those hard times have led to anger, hatred, betrayal, just all the bad stuff that comes with family, family drama, right? And we even got to the place where some of us were not speaking, um, and we had nothing nice to say about each other. We were just broken and torn apart, but then God, and he ain't done yet, amen. <laughs> so one by one, all in his timing, 
We found our way back to God and back to each other. We started to stand individually for what was right according to God. And we started to stand as a family together according to what was right to God. And I can say today, I am blessed to stand with the majority of my dysfunctional family <laughs> here every Sunday, worshiping the Lord and serving the Lord together side by side. I love y'all. My siblings and I stood for what was right according to God during our dad's passing last year. I wasn't exactly at a place of peace with that relationship, but God was with us. And because he was with us, there was reconciliation in that hospital room. There was healing in that hospital room. There was love and forgiveness in that hospital room. And that was only because God was with us. And after we heard our dad's last words and his words were, thank you, Jesus. I realized in that moment that everything the enemy had intended to harm us, God intended it all for good. I realized during one service where we had almost over 15 family members taking up two rows, I turned and I realized that everything that was meant to harm us, God intended it for good. Now I weep when I realize that the, the time the enemy stole from us, but I weep harder and I weep tears of joy when I realize all that God intended. Not only do we have to stand for what's right according to God in the face of adversity, but we have to do it in love like Joseph. We have to return love to the world that has hurt us. We have to forgive those in our lives and point out to them all the good that God intended along the way. When we stand for what's right according to God, we give God the opportunity to lead us and others to true repentance. When we stand for what is right according to God, others around us will benefit from the favor we have from God. As believers, we are called to take a stand for God in a world that constantly yells at us to sit down. When others witness what we can do in the face of adversity only because we have God with us, they want that same firm foundation to stand on. So my challenge for myself and everyone here today is to be more like the believers that we've learned about for the past few weeks and more like the believers that we're speaking about today. Be more like Joseph in our everyday life. Know that everything meant to harm us God intended it all for good. Stand for God and know that you are blessed and highly favored. Stand for what is right according to God in the face of adversity, giving him all the glory. Stand knowing that God alone is the firm foundation that we stand on. Stand for God, fully trusting him and know that God is with us. Thank you all.
All right, I'm a little more old school with paper. <laughs> I had a laptop, but it's a big one, so. Um, no calisthenics. Everybody can stay seated. <laughs> um, when, when Pastor Rich had reached out to, uh, to me about, about doing this, um, it, 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 it had to start um, for me with uh, standing on a, uh, a scripture. And that, that scripture is a foundational scripture in my life, and that's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it's, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Now, my path has led me here today to bring a message relating to uh, Jeremiah. At a young age, late teens, Jeremiah uh, was chosen, or you can say directed, by God to become a prophet. Now, Jeremiah didn't feel that he was capable, very much the same way I don't feel that I was capable to be up here today, uh, very much like how a lot of us don't feel capable when God calls on us. But, and so he, he tries to explain to God. I'm not a good speaker, but God always straightens us out. And so in this case, he tells Jeremiah, uh, if I tell you to go and speak, then go. So Jeremiah had to trust God's direction, even though he didn't fully understand why God wanted him to be a prophet. But where, where did Jeremiah get this trust? Where did, he, where did this trust develop? So first, I kind of want to define trust so that we understand. So trust is the firm belief or faith in the reliability, the truth, the ability, or the strength of someone or something. So in his case, or this case, this someone is God. So to understand where Jeremiah got this trust, this firm belief or faith in God, we have to look at his background, his foundation. He was a preacher's kid. He grew up in a priestly family in the tribe of Levi. This means he grew up in church. And he was exposed and influenced by those people that were committed to God. He would routinely hear about God and his fulfillment of the covenant and the promises that he had with the people of Israel. This had an impact on his life, and it built the foundation for him to trust God on his calling to be a prophet. I can relate to Jeremiah in this building of this foundation because I too was a preacher's kid uh, growing up and I had similar church experiences. So at the age of five, I saw firsthand my parents putting their trust in God. They quit good paying jobs, packed a, up a family of six, and we headed 10 hours west to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Uh, it was Rama's Bible College by Kenneth Hagin. I don't know if Anybody knows about that, but all this was for my dad to attend Bible college and fulfill his calling to be a pastor. Now, where this built my foundation is being in church, being around church, I had, was being poured into my life, the, the word of God was being poured into my life through Sunday school, children's church, Sunday night services, weekday services, Bible studies, revivals. It was just church was my life. I too learned about God during this time and his new covenant through Christ and the promises that he gives, gives us through his scripture for peace 
and health and salvation, deliverance and restoration. And I learned a lot of scripture verses, but the one that was always foundational was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now, a prophet's life is never easy, and Jeremiah knew this. Prophets are known to bring harsh messages at times that steps on everyone's toes, upsetting those on the receiving end. And nobody likes being told that they're living a sinful life and the bad things that will come if they don't repent. This life as a prophet for Jeremiah brought him several adversities through his path, his calling. He had people plotting to kill him. He was whipped and put in stocks. He was attacked by mobs. He was threatened by a king. He was arrested, beaten, and thrown in jail. And worst of all, he was alone. He was not allowed to marry or have children. So he was stripped of any earthly companionship or compassion from others. So how was Jeremiah able to endure all those adversities? Don't get me wrong, he did struggle. He would complain to God and even wish he had never been born. But he was able to come, overcome his adversities by standing firm in his faith and his trust in God. He talks about this throughout the book of Jeremiah. But here's an example of where he recalls that time that God came through on his promises. It's in Jeremiah 32, 20 through 22. And he says, Lord, you are famous because you worked miracles in Egypt and you are still working them in Israel and in the rest of the world as well. You terrified the Egyptians with your miracles and you reached out your mighty arm and rescued your people from Egypt. Then you gave Israel this land rich with milk and honey, just as you had promised. He knew what God had done in the past, both for him and Israel, and he knew God would do it again. So he would not let his adversities deter him from God's plan in his life. Now, our adversities might not be as bad or as awful as what Jeremiah had experienced, but they are challenging to, challenging to us just the same. So in my life, about five years ago, my wife and I felt compelled directed by God to go down a path that we knew would be life-changing for our family. And that was welcoming my nephew and my nieces into our home as foster parents, uh, ultimately with the goal to adopt. That whole process was going to be challenging just by itself, and it was going to put stress and strain on our family. However, we had the faith that God would work it out because it's God's plan and not ours. But shortly after we accepted this direction for our lives, it seemed like all hell broke loose. My father-in-law had a massive heart attack and was hospitalized with complications. My mother-in-law had a stroke, hospitalized. Uh, she was able to return home and then shortly after suffered a major one, a major stroke and died. Followed by that was the whole COVID pandemic and all of its uh, uncertainty. And during, during this time, we even had other close family members die. And even though my father-in-law did recover, he was now needing a lot of assistance. Life was overwhelming. At times, all I could do was stand on my foundational scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your, under, on your own understanding. There are times I have to repeat that over and over and over again. And I have to say it out loud so that I can hear it. Yeah. And hearing that my trust, my faith in God, it's not in me. It's not in my understanding. It's not in what the world tells me. And boy, doesn't the world have a lot to tell us these days. I want to hear what God has to say that's captured in Scripture in the Bible. 
The Bible has everything that I need to withstand and overcome the adversities in my life. And now, like Jeremiah, I can praise God for the great work that he has done when I see the fruit of his plan just this summer after my nephew came home. He came home from camp, committed his life to Christ, and then proclaimed it in front of everybody here with baptism. I'm sorry, I knew that was going to get me. Weep. <laughs> so it, it, it's me obeying my plan has now led to his, or my, my, God's plan for my life and my following that path is now leading my nephew down his path. So again, kind of what Jenny has mentioned as far as just how our commitment can influence others. So it was a little sidebar. Adversities are going to challenge our faith the same way weightlifting challenges our muscles. Without that resistance, our muscles will not grow and become stronger, but in fact become smaller and weaker. Yeah. The same is with our faith. Also with weightlifting, we need the building block protein to feed our muscles. The protein shake for our faith is God's word. It's scripture that feeds our faith. So don't let, you, don't let your tank be empty on the day that your adversity comes. Find that scripture or scripture for your life that becomes your foundation for standing and persevering through your adversities. Like Jeremiah, reflect back and praise God for the times in your life that he has delivered you, building upon that trust that he will do it again. And make sure you take advantage of the opportunities to have others pour that word of God into your life. All this is so that we'll, we will be in a position of readiness for whatever God asks us to do or whenever the enemy strikes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Good morning, big church. Y'all don't know me. My name is Dustin Dadisman. I sometimes will greet. I've done announcements. I'm on praise and worship. Now preaching. I'm this close to my big church bingo. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm right here. Um, I chose to do my lesson on Moses. Uh, I thought he, I thought that story of the Israelites and Moses did a great job of playing both sides of the coin. What it is to stand up to adversity, and what it is to not. Because if y'all know anything about the Israelites, they were. They were something. So uh, I got to rush through this. Moses is a long story, covers a lot of books. I got seven minutes, so we're going to fly. So let's roll. Okay, so when Moses was born, the Israelites were slaves to Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh at that time had commanded all the, Hebrew, all the Hebrew baby men be killed. So Moses wasn't supposed to be here. He was supposed to be a part of that. Um, his mother hid him away. These are, I'm kind of going to go through some bullet points to kind of tell you about his past, but also kind of try to relate it to us, because I've heard P. Rich say several times, like, I'm not supposed to be here today. Decisions I've made and things I've done, I shouldn't be here. Now, granted, Moses' story is a little different than that. You know, it wasn't his choices that were made, but he wasn't supposed to be here. His story was supposed to be done, but it kept going. Um... Later on in life, he killed a Hebrew master, like a slave master, a, a guard of sorts, and he ran away in fear. 
Uh, he fled everything he knew. He fled everybody he'd ever been around, and he just hid in the wilderness. And how much can we relate to that? Um, none of us like getting in trouble. None of us like facing those things. And yet, we hide in fear. That's what we do. Um, but that's where God revealed himself to Moses. Um, uh, but again, Moses is fearful. God shows up in the burning bush, and Moses is like, whoa, what's this, you know? Um, it, but, but God lays out the plan. He tells him, hey, you know, we're about to free the Israelites, and I'm going to use you to do it. And then Moses says, who am I? Who am I? Like, I'm not, I'm not adequate. I can't speak well. I'm, I'm not worthy of this task. Again, all of us. How many times have one of us had a calling that we feel like God put on our life, and we don't stand up to that? We're like, there's no way that he's calling me to do this that you've got the wrong guy, you've got the wrong girl. Like, there's no way that I can do these things that you're asking me to do. So, Moses goes, though, he does face the fear, and he goes. And they, uh, they go to Egypt, they do the 10 plagues. Pharaoh's like, okay, just leave. Anything's better than these 10 plagues. And then he's like, whoa, hold up. Actually, with you guys gone, I now have to do all the work. Not cool with that. So he sends his guards after him. Go, go, go get all the Israelites back. We, we need them back here. This is where we start getting to the meat of the, the, what I'm gonna be talking about. This is the Israelites' first time facing adversity outside when that once they're free and they choose fear in that moment. Right? They, they, can, they can see the Egyptians coming and they say, we'd, why would God free us just to kill us here in the wilderness. Why would he even do that? Why should we be here? Why are we doing this? We, should, we were better off where we were. But God again rescues them, parts the waters, they cross the waters, the waters close on the Egyptians. Now we're on the other side of it. Now we actually are free. We don't have to worry about the Egyptians anymore. Now the complaints start rolling in. I'm hungry. Yeah. Uh, why would God bring me all the way out here just to starve me to death? We'd have been better off as slaves. They say again. All right, well now, after a lot of this, God's kind of frustrated. So that starts happening. Um, let's see where I'm at. because Yeah, so they're hungry. God feeds them. He, he provides them with food. Um, then they start complaining about being thirsty. Why bring us all the way out here just to make us thirst to death? Again, Moses strikes the rock. Water comes flowing out. God provides them with the water. So time after time, they're faced with like these adversities and these things, and they keep choosing to complain against God, to not have that belief in God, to try to go back to the old ways. And nothing ever seems to be good enough. So then um, they hear the audible voice of God. All the, all the Israelites hear it. God speaks to them. They fear that moment, as I fear, I think a lot of us probably would, because <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Um, so they hear that, and they choose Moses to be the leader. I want you to be the middleman. Let God speak to you. You pass it along to us. So Moses accepts that, and he goes to speak to God. In that meantime, 
the Bible says 40 days is what, how long he was gone. They have already created false idols that quick. They have already, they've melted their jewelry. They have made a golden statue and they are now worshiping it. They, we don't even know if Moses is coming back, they said. He could be dead for all we know and we need something to worship. So they, so they do that. God, now, now you have guys crossed the line. You know what I mean? So now God's like, he gets real mad and he's like questioning some stuff. They get, they're so bad, God's questioning some things. He's like, okay, um, maybe we can just hit the reset button on this. Uh, I'll just kill them all and we'll move on. And I can, there's a lot of people on this earth and I can just do it with somebody else and that's fine. And, but Moses argues on their behalf and he reminds God of his promises and he reminds God of who they are and what he, what he set out to do and God agrees. So he says, okay, we'll go handle it. So Moses goes down the mountain and he goes to handle it and he's, he's ticked. He's got the 10 commandments in hand, he smashes them. This is how upset he is. And so he takes the golden statue, he melts it, he turns it into powder, puts it in some water and makes them drink it. That's their first serving of Haterade right there. That's what that was. So um, that's, one, that's another way that, that um, Moses is an example of how we should be. Um, another thing that he had go against him is his brother and sister. Speaking of family, his brother and sister were talking about him behind his back. They were kind of uh, saying some things they shouldn't have been saying and that kind of stuff. That kind of frustrated God. So God was gonna punish them. And um, Mo, he did actually punish them. He gave uh, one of them leprosy. Um, it, it lasted a short time and they had to stay outside of the city for a little bit. So God did put them like in a timeout. Um, but yet Moses prayed for them. So here they are going against Moses, their own brother, and he chooses to pray for them and ask God, don't punish them. Like, don't do it. Um, so now we're getting to the promised land. This is where the, all the, the, the whole point of this whole trip was to get here. So they send some spies in the promised land. And the spies come back and they're like, whew, that place is it, boys. They're like, it's got... It's got the milk, it's got honey, it's got all this fruit. They bring some fruit back and they're, they're telling everybody how good it is. And they're like, but there are giants there that we're gonna have to defeat. But one of them's like, so what, let's do this. And the rest of them are like, mm, I don't know if you saw those guys, but we can't, we can't do that. So the Egyptians again begin to start complaining and grumbling and they say, Let's get a new leader. Let's kick Moses out of this leadership. We, did, we chose poorly. And let's create a new leader and let's go back to Egypt. They are choosing slavery. They are right there, right there. And they know God's promises and they've seen the things that he's, he's done. They've heard the things he said and they are right there and they choose slavery. That's their choice. So, again, God's tired of it. and He's ready to kill him again. Again, Moses stands up for him. 
And he, he reminds God of the promises and he reminds God of what he said and what he's gonna do. And he prays for them. And he's that intercessory guy for them. And so he's, and you can only imagine Moses, right? Like we hear our coworkers complain a little bit at work and we're like over it. Like, you know, we should probably think about firing this guy, right? <laughs> You know, but he's been dealing with this. They were in the wilderness for 40 years to the lead up to this. And then once they get out of this, they go back because they choose not to go into it at first. So God punishes them and says, you guys, none of you all that are living right now will see the promised land because y'all have grumbled and complained so much for me. Your children will get to reap the benefits, but you will not. So they wander again for another 40 years. So Moses has had to deal with these people for a long time. And so the fact that he's not just with God, it's like, you know what? Yeah, that's cool. It's just, you're right, uh, is just mind boggling to me. Um, but to go back to the Israelites, it, they have seen, they got to see the 10 plagues. They were there for that. They got to see all these miraculous things that happen. They got to see the waters part. They got to see manna come from the dew of the morning and feed them. They got to see water come from a rock. They got to hear the voice of God. They got to win wars on behalf of God that they should have lost. Um, they got to experience the good times, their numbers grow. And, um, and just being a successful nation. They got to witness all this stuff and be a part of it. But when the bad times arise, and they don't hear from God for, for a time, they always turn away. And this is like one of those lessons that I didn't, you know, like the cliche, like the preacher would get up here and be like, this lesson is for me just as much as it is for you. And when I was writing my lesson, this is that moment that I realized that it really was for me as much as it is for you guys because in this moment, I realized that I am an Israelite. As much as I don't want to be, that's the path I choose more often than not. And I, and I haven't even been around 40 years. I'm 38, and I haven't been around 40 years. And I, so God has not been absent for me for very long. And I choose to turn so often. And I don't hear from him, and I don't see things. And I say, are you even there? Do you even exist? You know, like, what is all this about? And it's just a short, it's a short time that I don't hear from him and doubt and all that stuff start to creep in. Um, the Bible says uh, about Moses, there's never been another prophet in Israel like Moses that the Lord knew face to face. Um, I just think that Moses is a great example for us. Um, Moses prayed for his enemies. He prayed for those that wronged him. He was a willing participant in God's plan. Um, you know, other than that first time um, where he was like, he felt inadequate and he felt like, I can't do this. I, I don't remember another time that I read that he was like, what? Like, what do you want me to do? Like, I can't do that. It's like, he just kind of stepped into it at that point. And he, and and in the wilderness, they say that's kind of like when, when Moses was a child, you know, he grew up in Pharaoh's house. So he got to learn 
all the customs. He got educated in that way. And then when he, when he fled the first time by himself and he was in the wilderness, he became a shepherd and all that stuff. You know, that's kind of like when God got a hold of him. And that's when God taught him his ways and that kind of stuff. And because of his faith, because of his obedience, Moses got to experience such great and powerful things. And he got to be a path maker for so many people in, in, during that time. He got to set the example, to set the tone. And I mean, just think about all the miracles and stuff that he got to see just because he said yes. Um, so I guess I, I, I'll end it with just saying like, you know, in times when it's hard and in times, and again, this is me talking to myself, in times where it's hard, in times when you feel like you're by yourself and you're lonesome, just remember the obedience, remember to the faithfulness, um, because it's in those moments that you grow those muscles and you get to experience so much more and you push through all that and there's something on the other side of it. There's something bigger and God will use it. Um, you just gotta have the obedience and the faith to see it through. Um, so, thank you guys. I'm using the, oh, there we are. <clears throat> like Dustin, I feel like I'm wearing many hats today, but, um, I, uh, I wanted to share a story with you from Daniel. Uh, with everything that's going on in the world today, it is more important now uh, than ever to be prepared, and I think that's been a theme that we've had for a few weeks now. And, and we need to know what does standing up for God look like for us as Christians? What do we have to sacrifice, and what can we kind of expect? Um, one verse that I've been meditating on from Daniel was Daniel 11.32 that says, the people that know their God shall stand firm and take action. Like, doesn't that encompass all of the messages here thus far. Um, <clears throat> so I'll give you the highlights of Daniel's story, uh, but we'll take Daniel's story kind of a step further too that maybe you haven't heard of before. We're gonna be looking at Daniel's uh, chapter six and seven. Uh, so Daniel was an advisor to the king of Babylon who, uh, like Jenny, I, I found a lot of similarities in our stories, but uh, he had the gift of interpreting dreams. And others uh, in the court or other advisors saw him moving up in the ranks and they became very jealous of him. So they end up tricking the king into passing a law that persecuted those who did not worship the king and the king alone. Um, they would be sent to the lion's den for death. Um, Daniel was a devout Jew. He continued to pay, pray, even though he knew of this new law that had passed, he continued to pray three times a day and imprint the word into his heart, um, which eventually he was caught thrown in and he would call on the Lord to protect him in the lion's den and the Lord would deliver him. So in, in Daniel 6, 23, it says the king was overjoyed. The king was the one that discovered him. He, he, he did not understand that he was tricked, obviously. So he's the one that was like, oh shoot, Daniel's in the lion's den, okay. So he goes and checks on him. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And this is my favorite part. The king decrees that everyone shall worship the same God that Daniel does. So there are a few things to remember in Daniel's story. Um, number one, 
the world, people, they're gonna come after you for your faith in every season. In fact, the more invested you are in the Lord, the more the enemy is going to try to take you down. Um, and I can say this too, like I think a, a big overarching theme too for, that we've had is that our stories are testimonies, right? We hope that our light will bring people to Christ. But what I've found is a lot of times it doesn't always start out that way. It might start out with, uh, why is she so positive? Like that's annoying. Um, or they might be kind of perplexed by what your energy is and, and things like that. So, so we hope that we are influencing people in the right way, but it doesn't always start out like that, and we have to get through that. We have to get over that hump um, and just remain positive, remain speaking life into people. Um, number two, know the word well enough so you can use it in the face of adversity. One thing with Daniel was that uh, he didn't have a Bible in the lion's den. He had to know the word well enough to where when he was in the den, he felt confident to speak, to pray, and to recite the word. And I'm not saying recite as in just like memorize and recite it out. I'm saying like truly understand and imprint the word on your heart. Um, you're gonna need that in your own dens, right? In your own dens in your life. Um, and I'm not just talking about, you know, in times. Like maybe it just might be like your phone's dead and you need the word of God, like. You just need that to, to have it in your brain at all times. Uh, number three, believe with everything that you have that God is going to deliver you. And I truly think that sometimes we say the words, but do we actually believe it? Reflect on it, meditate on it, and believe it with your whole heart that things are gonna change. And number four, you can change people with your testimony. Again, like we were talking about earlier, can you, like, not only can we change people, Daniel changed an entire kingdom with his testimony, right? And number five, we're gonna get a little bit into chapter seven, which maybe you, you aren't as familiar with, but number five is to use your gifts wisely. Um, I won't go into detail about what Daniel had dreamed in, in chapter seven, it was like a prophetic dream. Um, but what is important is the irony in the story because Daniel had the inability to interpret his own dream. He had to call on help from the angels to interpret this, this dream that he had had. Um, now, is that because the enemy was coming after Daniel or messing with his gift, or was it because um, maybe he just didn't know himself well enough and kind of let that trial get to him? Um, I'm not really sure, but what I do know is that we've talked a lot in church about people pleasers, right, and, and how I think a lot of us relate to that. But let me ask, how many times have you used your gifts to heal others compared to how many times you've just let your gift heal yourself? When it comes to standing up to the, for the Lord in the face of adversity, we have to know ourselves well enough uh, to be able to help our own selves. We can't pour from an empty cup. So uh, just as an example, like I, I believe that I was blessed with the gift of worship and with praise and, and I truly believe that. And there have been times where I felt super disconnected from God um, and I it, sometimes it just takes turning on an old worship song and I get the God bumps and the God chills and I'm like, okay, like Holy Spirit's with me. Like sometimes you have to use your gift of hospitality or whatever it might be to reconnect with people that are going to bring you uh, to the light again and to, into the spirit um, and reconnecting yourself with um, the, the relationship that you have with God. Um, so one challenge that I have for myself and that I'm passing on to you is how you can make sure that you know yourself and your gifts well enough to use them for your own good. How can you use those gifts in the face of adversity? And then focus on how you can help others through adversity as well. Um, this really reminded me of when Jesus is going through the wilderness after his baptism. Like he had to reconnect with himself in order to 
fulfill the rest of his ministry, right? Um, but ultimately, we need to be prepared, right? Uh, there is no better way to do that than to, than to follow Daniel's example and the examples that we've heard today um, to stay disciplined in prayer, stay faithful, faithful to God's promises, and understand how your gifts are going to change your own perspectives and ultimately those around you. Um, I'll end with Daniel 10, 19. It says, do not be afraid. You are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. Praise the Lord. Give it up for our four speakers today. I related to each one of them, got something out of every one of them. Did you feel the same way? Raise your hand if you got something out of that. Look around, guys. Everyone's raising their hand. I really connected with a point where there was a decision for the children of Israel to make a choice, whether fear or the Lord. And we have that choice today. I can stay in the same place where I've always been or I can do it differently and I can trust you with my life, Jesus. If you're at that point, if you lower the lights just for a second, I want this to be a personal time for you. If you have found in your life that you've done all you can and you're not enough, raise your hand. My hand's up. I'm not enough. Every day I have to say, Lord, I'm yours, save me. And he does every day. Because his strength is enough for every day. His mercies are new every day. His joy is new every day. His salvation is new every day. If that hasn't been in your life, now is your choice, your time to make a decision. If you haven't done it for the first time and you want to give your heart over to the Lord, you want to say, Lord, I, I've tried it and I failed and I, and I need some help. I want to face adversity no longer alone, but with you. Why don't you follow along with me in this prayer? Jesus, I love you. I have come to realize that you are my answer. And I can't do it on my own any longer. And I want you to take control of my life as I confess with my mouth that God raised you from the dead and that you are Lord. And I want you to come in and I want you to cleanse my heart from everything that I feel. Doubt, shame, self-loathing sometimes, weakness. Father, you can come in and you can make me clean white as wool, strong, full of joy, no longer depressed. And I give you my life right now in the name of Jesus Christ. If you've said that prayer, I want you to raise your hand so that someone can be around you and pray for them right now. If someone has raised their hand, I want the people next to you to have the courage to reach over and touch you and agree in prayer right now and say, Jesus, this is your new lamb. This is your newborn. This is the one that's come to you. Strengthen them in their faith. This is a moment that will be a watershed moment in their life. Help them to put their roots down deep into your word and start to grow. Start to work that out every day 
and to realize that failure is a part of success. That yes, we fall, we scrape our knee, but we get back up through the blood of Jesus Christ. Bless those, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you're looking for more information or resources, you can visit mybigchurch.com or follow us on social media at mybigchurch. We love you guys. See you soon. Thank you.